0: last um service that we we just finished a bit ago uh ended in a really amazing time of prayer but this service is beginning and continues in this amazing time of prayer um the lord brought uh, a mentor of, of mine uh to the nine o'clock service that i wasn't expecting to be here and um he came and laid laid his arms on my wife and i and prayed over us in such a prophetic amazing beautiful way and um we just i i feel like a uh, just like a cloak was lifted off of me, as as the Lord um, ministered to us through through this amazing friend. And um, I, today, I think I cried for the first time in three years, so that was feels good to have some tears. My wife got to see it. So um, I want to encourage you today. If, if R- Ryan was just praying, he didn't know that that had happened. But if if you have just a, a burden today that you feel like you can't break free of, the Lord I think is present here to remove those burdens. And um, I experienced that at this last service today. And so um, if you could just be aware of those around you, and if you'd say, um, I have today a burden that I need lifted, without any shame or fear, nothing weird, would you just raise your hand as high as you can? And then if if you're, I'm not gonna pray for you, but if someone is next to you, if you see someone raising their hand, would you just lay hands on them and pray for them? If you say, I've got a burden, I need the Lord to touch me today. Um, I have a heaviness over my life that I need God to remove and to relieve the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so there's freedom for you today from that burden. So raise your hand high. And if, if you see someone raising their hand, would you just begin to um, surround them, surround them, put your arms on them and begin to pray for them. And um, any of our, you know, a lot of young people need prayer today. And if you o- older adults, older meaning over 30, would you would you look for someone who needs prayer and just make your way over to them right now? And if you say, I don't have a burden, I don't need prayer, just re- receive a way that would relieve the burden. God, we thank you. Lord, your spirit uh, is is always with us, God, but we, we just feel um, a need to push in closer. We feel a need to push in further, God. Lord, open up, open up our hearts. God, I pray that you would remove um, any calluses on our hearts that would prevent us from receiving what you have for us, Lord. If If our hearts have become stone, would you soften them into hearts of flesh? Um, And God, I just want to pray against a spirit of heaviness. God, your word says that we can put on um, a garment of praise or an attitude of praise. We can do that for a spirit of heaviness. And, And so, Lord, even as Ryan was rebuking the enemy, we rebuke a spirit of heaviness over each life here, we rebuke a spirit of heaviness in the name of Jesus over this congregation. God, we uh, rebuke a spirit of fear or control that would try to um, cause us to fear or to be controlled by forces or our own mind that is not of you. And instead, God, we ask that you would give us self-control. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us love and joy instead of fear and control. God, I pray that um, that spirit of heaviness would begin to roll off of the backs of those who it has been put on. That is a burden that they are not meant to carry. If you have a burden today that that you're carrying, it's not yours to carry. The Lord wants you to, to let it go and hand it over to him. We're to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. We are to bear one another's burdens. So keep pressing in. God, I pray you'd remove the spirit of heaviness. Remove the spirit of anxiety, God. Lord, for the the attitude, the spirit of depression, that you would remove it in Jesus' name. If you'd say this morning, you need a, a healing touch from God on your body and you're, you're suffering from an illness today, whether it be disease or illness or discomfort, would you raise your hand really high too if you need, you need a healing over your body this morning? And if you would, again, uh, just surround those who are raising their hands real high if you need healing for your body. We need someone to pray over here, uh, someone here. Anybody else say, that's me. I need, need prayer for healing in my body. Some of you may walked into this church today, and this is, this is not necessarily a normal occurrence for us. And so I want to say don't, don't miss out on opportunity to be touched by the Lord. If you say, I need healing, raise your hand. Receive it this morning. God, we ask for healing in Jesus' name. We ask for removal of pain in the name of Jesus. We ask for a removal of um, tension in our bodies. God, for tension in shoulders and tension in necks to be relieved and released in the name of Jesus, we ask. God, for um, chronic headaches, God, for chronic migraines, we ask for relief from that pain in the name of Jesus, Lord. God, we pray against... And we pray for those uh, who are suffering from digestive issues, Lord Jesus, that you would um, heal their bodies and give them peace and rest in the place, God, of discomfort. Lord Jesus, we pray for those who are, um, have been diagnosed with some sort of a chronic illness or disease, Lord, that you would first and foremost bring them peace, bring them uh, a further trust in you and experience of love from you that they've ever known. But we also would be bold enough to ask for healing. Lord, we pray for those who um, today are suffering with back issues, God, with problems in their joints, and they can't do what they once did and they can't do what they want to do. God, uh, free them up. Free them up, God, in Jesus' name. I pray you'd remove pain and replace with rest. God, we're here before you asking you to heal our affirmities, asking you to relieve and lift the spirit of heaviness, asking the, the darkness to flee at your light and at your name, Jesus. Um, the Lord just wanted me to pray for someone who, who's experiencing chronic loneliness. Anybody today say, I, I'm chronically lonely, and that might be an incredible thing to ask for prayer for, but the Lord wants to meet you in your loneliness. He wants to touch you today. He wants to let you know he's with you. He wants to build community around you. If you say, I'm suffering from loneliness, raise your hand, receive prayer this morning for that, if, if that's you. God, forever suffering from loneliness, God, Lord, your word tells us that you stick closer than a brother. Your word tells us that you are with us in the valley of the shadow of death. God, I pray that we would know your spirit within us and and feel not just loved, but feel your presence there with us, God. Lord, I pray for those who feel like they are suffering alone with whatever they're walking through, that you, Lord Jesus, would... Um, connect them and bring to them community and friends that can walk alongside of them, God, and to lift them up and to bear their burdens with them, God. I pray for marriages to be healed. We pray for marriages to be restored. We ask in the name of Jesus for marriages to be a marriage of companionship, a marriage without loneliness, a marriage of intimacy, and not a marriage with lack of intimacy, God. Restore what has been stolen. Restore what we have destroyed and replace it with something only you can give. In the name of Jesus, we pray. I ask you guys you find your seat. We're going to continue in worship um, throughout throughout the rest of our time here today. Um, but if you could stay in this attitude of listening, of receiving, and I want to get just immediately into our, into our message um, today, and then we're going to close out with another time of prayer. Um, we're going to be in the book of Daniel if you want to... Um, Open that up to Daniel chapter three. Um, we're going to be looking at that this morning, and again, this is extremely relevant to actually what just happened uh, to this this move of, of what God is trying to do in your heart. So thank you so much, Ryan, for being sensitive to the Spirit. Daniel three. Um, we've looked at Daniel um, one and two so far. Just a real quick recap of this book is. Daniel is all about God's sovereign orchestration of human history despite the actions of men. God's always working things according to his purposes into the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And he's doing that despite whatever we choose or whatever we do. The other theme we've been looking at, what the series itself is named after, is this idea of living for God in an ungodly world. Or how do we live in exile? And we've been looking at the lives of Daniel and his friends Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and how they have chose to stand out instead of fitting into their culture. Uh, They rejected food from the king's table in order to show their reliance upon God. And when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a statue of many different precious metals, God gave to Daniel the interpretation of that dream and the dream itself to show how he's orchestrating human history and we're learning that as believers, we need to be in the world, but not of it. We need to stand up, stand out, and not just simply fit in. And so we're going to look today at um, Daniel chapter 3 with those things in mind. And as I've just kind of set us up for that, I do. I am supposed to give two announcements, and I want to give those real quick. Um, tonight, if you'd like to keep worshiping, we're meeting at 630 at the Ike Box in downtown Salem. And uh, the first Sunday of the month is our downtown worship night and preview service. It is our goal to um, have a church meeting weekly in downtown Salem here over the next year. Uh, but we meet on the first Sunday of the month at 630 at the Ikebox. And um, that is on the corner of Cottage and Chemeketa. And um, they sell great coffee there. So if you show up early, you can buy coffee, buy snacks. And um, we appreciate you if you've attended before. One thing you've noticed is we start late. Um, We're only allowed to enter the building at a certain time, but they're starting to let us arrive earlier. We've got a great friend named Caleb uh, who's helping us out um, with that. And so if you come tonight, we think we're going to start real close to on time. And uh, Tim Warnock is going to be sharing a really brief encouraging word, but uh, Kim Reese is going to be leading us in just a really powerful worship set. She's got a really fantastic band. And so join us tonight, 630. And then next week, if you'd like to learn more about free church, if you'd like to know how you can get connected or involved, during our 9 a.m. service, we have our on-ramp breakfast. And um, you can attend that downstairs in our kids' wing. And then um, join us for our 11 a.m. service if you would like to do so. So those are my little announcements. I, I want to talk to you a bit about pride. About pride, about arrogance, um, about being conceited, about thinking we're all of that. How many of you have no pride in your life? Good, okay. Because if you raised your hand, like, that is the evidence of that. Like, uh, no pride here. Um, when I started out in what's called vocational ministry, that's where you, that's where you work in ministry for enormous paychecks that you make when you when you start off in ministry and in ministry in general. Um, but about 17 years ago, I started off um, in vocational ministry uh, at our church here, and we used to meet on Lancaster and Market, is where our building was. And on this particular day during my first year of vocational ministry, and during my first four months, um, the church was in the ghetto, let's be real, okay? And I actually miss it. I miss, I miss the opportunities that existed there to minister to people around the neighborhood. Um, but the Department of Corrections would bring uh, work crews um, to work on the, the city drainage ditch that was there that runs parallel with Lancaster. And one particular day as I was pulling into the church parking lot in my 1993 white um, Toyota Camry, um, I noticed these inmates working in their crew, laboring. They were helping the church out by, by cleaning out the ditch. And I, I thought that I was such an amazing minister. I, I was such an amazing leader, um, such an amazing Christian, that I would bring all of these men, these precious inmates to the Lord, I would bring them um, soda. Back in 2004, whenever this was, we used to call it pop, uh, but now we call it soda. Um, But I was like, I am going to bring these men soda. And they don't have to, you know, use their, their... whatever they call the payment system in prisons. Um, Don't shout it out if you know the answer. I know a lot of you do. They don't have to use that to buy soda um, at at the prison later on tonight. They don't have to trade cigarettes for it. They can can get it from me, this holy man of God. And so I drove to Fred Meyer, and I made sure I did not buy um, the Kroger knockoff brands of soda. Uh, But I bought the real stuff, Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, Root Beer, Mountain Dew, Sprite, and um, the inmate uh, drink of choice, Dr. Pepper. Um, and I, brought, I bought a lot of soda that day. And I was actually trying to remember at 9 a.m. if I used my own money or, or if I used church money. I, I think I was so holy I used my own money for it. And so I went and I bought, um, I was like, I don't have a way to keep these cold and we're not going to serve inmates warm drinks. And so I bought lots and lots of ice and I put these in foam coolers that I had bought. I had two foam coolers and I, I went to go And take the foam cooler out of the back of our Toyota Camry that a car seat couldn't even fit in, and uh, reach down to pick up the cooler. And right as I picked it up, I started to take my step over with a proud face to all the inmates that are staring at this, uh, what was I, 24 year old kid walking towards them with these uh, foam coolers. And right as my face is beaming with the pride of my holiness before the Lord, um, the foam cooler uh, broke as I was holding it. And all of the cans strategically fell onto the gravel beneath me and had punctured in just the right places on literally every can, began to fountain up directly into my face as I'm holding the soda for the inmates that's now spraying right in my, literally in my eyes. And all 20 inmates made eye contact with me as the soda was making eye contact with me. (laughs) And I did what everyone would do. I ran into the building. (laughs) Leave it here. Just ran. (laughs) Um, And I came out about 20 minutes later, composed myself, and I I brought them the second time. They all laughed at me, and um, I was glad I was their source of entertainment for the day. (laughs) Pride comes before destruction. And... Whoever exalts himself, the Lord will humble, it says in Matthew. And so we talk about uh, this idea of of pride and humility and being arrogant in relation to the story of Daniel. In the next two weeks, that's what the the account is all about. Because Nebuchadnezzar had just had this dream, and the dream was that there was a great statue of the head made of gold, the chest made of silver, the midsection made of bronze, the legs made of iron, and the feet made of a mixture of iron and clay— uh, basically a meteor comes from the sky, breaks down the statue, and that meteor turns into a great mountain which fills the whole earth. And Daniel gives to Nebuchadnezzar this prophecy. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold, your kingdom will come to an end, and a successive kingdom, a successive kingdom, a successive kingdom will come after it and nebuchadnezzar gives praise to god for the interpretation of the dream and he does what all of us would do when we've experienced such a prophetic word from god about the end of the world involving a statue nebuchadnezzar decides the best thing to do is to build a statue himself a 90 foot tall a nine foot wide statue because that's what men do is just build big statues And he makes this big statue, not of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and a mixture of iron and clay. He makes this statue entirely of gold. You might say, well, pastor, that's a lot of gold. It probably was gold overlaid, just like the gold man on top of our precious Capitol building in Salem, Oregon. So um, he overlays the statue with gold. And he does what all humble men would do as he orders a dedication for this statue And not only does he build this statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, he builds it almost on the exact same place where it was understood that the Tower of Babel was built many centuries before because that ended really well um, then. And so he makes the statue in the plains here where the Tower of Babel once was. And he commands all of his leaders at the dedication that when the beat drops, you guys drop and worship the statue. You worship this statue. You worship the image of this statue when the music begins to play. And so the first question I want you to ask yourself is, what was this statue of? Was this a statue of a, a fish, a horse, an octopus? Was it a statue of some sort of a uh, mythological creature like a cherubim or something of that nature that was common during that time? And the answer is no. We find the answer in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 90 feet and its width was nine feet. And he set it up on the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. So whenever this word image appears in Aramaic, the language this is written in, it's always referring to a man. So he makes a statue of an image of a man. And then three times in chapter three, When the statue is to be worshipped in verse 12 and verse 14 and verse 18, it is said that the people were to fall down to serve Nebuchadnezzar's gods and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so this statue in the form of a man, when worshipped, it would show that the worshippers worship Nebuchadnezzar's gods. But I believe it would also show that they were worshipping God. Nebuchadnezzar himself. The reason why is because the statue is made entirely of gold. And God had just told Nebuchadnezzar that he was the head of gold on the statue that was in his dream, and that his kingdom would come to a kingdom of end, and that God had given him dominion over the known earth at that time. And I think, we don't know for certain, but it seems to me that Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, wait a minute, if I have dominion over the entire world, And if my golden empire is going to come to an end because the statue is made of other metals, obviously I should make a statue of all gold and I'll make it look just like me. And if I can get people to worship this statue and if I can make the statue entirely of gold and not all that other cheap metal, maybe my kingdom will never end. Maybe I'm helping God stop this prophetic warning that I got. And if we have any question if this statue is Nebuchadnezzar or not, there's actually a historical document that was found in the rubble of ancient Babylon that proves this almost certainly was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And the document reads this. It's on the screen behind me, and it's online if you're watching. Um, And this is what the document states. It's written literally by Nebuchadnezzar, and it's found in the rubble of Babylon. It says, beside my statue is king. I wrote an inscription mentioning my name. I erected for posterity. May future kings respect the monument, remember the praise of the gods. He who respects my royal name, who does not abrogate my statues and not change my decrees, his throne shall be secure, his life will last long, and his dynasty shall continue. This is the height of arrogance. See, like the devil before him, like Nimrod, who founded Babylon thousands of years before, like countless human dictators before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn that pride comes before destruction and that those who exalt themselves will be humble. And so he says, everybody has to worship me when the music plays. And he offers a threat, if you don't worship me, here is what will happen. He says in verse 6 Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. It's a big deal. Nobody wants to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Now, why would there be a furnace here on the plains of Dura? What, what, what's happening here? Well, we learn actually thousands of years before that when the people of this same region built the Tower of Babel, it says that they baked bricks out of the mud. And they use those bricks to construct the tower because there isn't trees in this land. There is no rocks in this land to cut out. And so this very likely is a kiln to make bricks, possibly an ancient kiln used to make the Tower of Babel. And the kiln, I tried to find pictures, and I couldn't find a really great one, but essentially it would be like a large pot with with kind of a smokestack on top, like kind of the um, adobe style Mexican uh, little fireplaces that you can buy made of pottery that you would put out in your backyard, um, similar to that. And these would have ramps that would go up into the kiln so you could throw things into the fire to burn them. And so there happens to be a furnace right here by the statue, maybe used for the construction of the statue. And Nebuchadnezzar says, you don't worship the statue, you get burned in the fire. So on the day of the statue's dedication, three young men chose to... Stand out instead of fit in. More specifically, three young men chose to stand up when everybody else bowed down. These three men's name, uh, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, or as we often call them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And some Chaldeans, some other astrologers, some other sorcerers, some other dream interpreters notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not worshiping the statue when the music began to play. And so they tattled on these three men to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And he brought them before the throne. And he asks them, is it true that you guys didn't bow down to the golden statue? And he gives them strangely a second chance. You you seem to think that Nebuchadnezzar likes these guys because they're actually the most talented and gifted of all the Chaldeans that he has. And so he's like, are you sure you guys didn't worship? I'll give you a second chance. So listen up. I'm gonna play the music again. And when the music is queued up again, surely you just messed up the first time. I want you to know, we'll, we'll say, the music's playing, now's your cue, then you bow down and you worship me. But verse 15, if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Who is the God? Now, Meshach's real name was Mishael, which means who is like God. And Nebuchadnezzar changed his name to Meshach, which is who is like, um, I think it was Aku, the moon god. And so this is a play on words. Who is like the God of Mishael? Well, Nebuchadnezzar is about to learn which God can do this. And Nebuchadnezzar should have already known because it wasn't only a chapter before where he said, oh, God can interpret and show dreams. He should remember. So in verse 16 through 18, here is the most amazing response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Back about eight years ago, there was this meme online where whenever someone did something really cool, a Snoop Dogg song would play in the background and sunglasses would rise up over their eyes. Imagine this is likely what's happening with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they are about to get very gangster before Nebuchadnezzar. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace... So he's able to deliver us from the fire. And I love what they say next. They make a differentiation. They say, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. We need this faith. We need this faith. God's able to deliver us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're okay. Either way, God will deliver them out of the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, be it in life or in death. Either way, they are getting delivered. And this doesn't go over very well with Nebuchadnezzar. It says his face changes. He gets extremely angry, and he says, turn up the furnace. And the furnace keepers say, How hot? And he says, seven times. And they just turned up that dial. (laughs) Seven times. I don't know what seven times mean, but what it's supposed to mean is it was hot, but now it's real hot. So they turn it up real hot. And Nebuchadnezzar ties up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uses um, some very strong Babylonian soldiers to do so. And he throws them in the furnace. And Daniel records that when they are thrown into the furnace, they've got all their clothes on. They're modest burners. They want to make sure they're, they're fully dressed. So they've got, it says, turbans, coats, robes, sandals. And the furnace is so hot that when the Babylonian soldiers open the doors or the gates to the furnace to throw them in, it says it's so hot that they are immediately incinerated. They are burned to death. So the soldiers burn. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego likely just tipped over into the fire. And then we get a glimpse into Nebuchadnezzar's experience here in verse 24. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Didn't we throw three guys tied up in the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, we threw three guys into the fire. Nebuchadnezzar answers them and says, but I see four men, unbound. And they're walking around in the fire. And they're not hurt. And I can just see Nebuchadnezzar looking in. And the fourth guy, the fourth one, he he looks like a son of the God's. The fourth is like a son of the gods. There there was something special about this fourth man in the fire. Clearly, this fourth man was recognizable to Nebuchadnezzar as someone who was divine. Was he glowing? Was there a halo on his head? Was he wearing white? We don't know. But there was something so different about this man. And he calls him God's angel in verse 28. There is a fourth man in the fire. He is like a son of the gods. It's God's angel, which is very reminiscent in Hebrew to the term the angel of the Lord who appears throughout the Old Testament. Most theologians believing that most of those occurrences are somehow Jesus himself before he took on flesh and was born of a virgin 500 years later at this point. We see Jesus show up and speak to Moses from a burning bush. We see Jesus show up and talk to Abraham before the whole thing goes down with Sodom and Gomorrah. There are times in the Old Testament where Jesus shows up. I believe this is one of those times. But whether it was an angel or whether it was Jesus himself, either way, the message was clear that God was present with these men in the fire. God does not promise us a life without fire. God does not promise to remove us from our trials. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials. But God does promise us that when we go through trials, the promise is not that he'll remove us from them. The promise is actually that he'll be with us in the trial. Here with us in the fire, Psalms 23 verse 4, even though, even when I walk The valley of the shadow of death. I don't need to be afraid. Why? Because the shepherd is with me. And whether he snatches us from the fire or he allows us to burn, he'll be right alongside of us, having suffered himself. Jesus suffered for us. By his stripes, we are healed. It's his suffering, his perfect life without sin, despite the suffering, his death in our place. Jesus suffered for us so he can walk along with us in our suffering. And whether we are snatched from the fire or whether we are burned in the fire, we know that Jesus is waiting for us in paradise where we will be with him and where there will be no more fire and no more death. And I love that it states that they're walking through the fire. They're walking through. They're just just hanging out in the fire, walking around. They're not not sitting down. They're not laying down, disappointed, discouraged, throwing themselves a pity party. They're just walking through the fire with Jesus. Most of us would be down, giving up, begging to be released, but instead just walking around with the fourth man in the fire. And so verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Abednego, quick change of heart. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and all the leaders and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had no power over their bodies. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and they didn't even smell like smoke. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon, but not of it, they were able to be in the fire. And not only were they not consumed by the fire, but they were completely unaffected by it. They were in the fire. They weren't of the fire. You see, when Jesus prayed to the Father before he went to the crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer was that the Father would send us, that Jesus, he would acknowledge that we as his followers, we would be in the world but not of the world. His prayer was not that the Father would remove us from the world. His prayer was that the Father, while we were in the world and not of it, would actually keep us from the evil one while we are in the world. And so my prayer for us as 21st century Christians is that we can be in the world, not of the world. We can be kept from the evil one and not even singed or affected by its fire. And when we walk around in the fire with Jesus, that's possible to be untouched, unsinged, unsmoke-smelling. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered, and he said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. And this is what he says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the servants of God, this is what they did. They trusted in God, verse 28. They set aside the king's command, And they yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any God except their God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, any nation, any language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. This is not a good form of evangelism, by the way. Like, if you talk bad about God, we're tearing your limbs off. This is Nebuchadnezzar, not, not your local evangelist. But it's interesting. It, it's, it's the exact same punishment he threatens if no one can tell the dream. He's like, oh, my go-to punishment is just to rip legs and arms off and to burn down houses. If my arms and legs are ripped off, I don't care a lot about my house burning down. Like, maybe burn my house down first, then I feel bad, then pull them off. He says this. This is probably the most important statement you could hear today. He says, I want you to do this because there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Yes. Who could do it? He said, there is no other God who could do it in this way. That's right. Hallelujah. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So they get promoted. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yes. But Nebuchadnezzar, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. If you're in the fire today, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. And even Nebuchadnezzar himself sees it, and he praises God. This is what I call Nebuchadnezzar's second conversion. Don't get your hopes up. He's going to fall harder next week. But we'll see a third conversion. And Nebuchadnezzar literally writes a worship song. See, I love how Nebuchadnezzar describes these men, and this is how I would love for us to be described. Guys that trusted in God. Young men and young women who set aside the king's command and choose to obey God over the commands of a king. And the last one is strange. It says they yielded up their bodies. What does that mean? It literally means they were willing to let their bodies be burned alive rather than to worship any other God. And I would love to see us as Christians be willing to yield up our bodies if that would be required of us. And I'll close with just a a few very short applications and a time of prayer. But we we would be foolish to continue without pointing out something glaringly obvious about this story. There's a very much a, a big gaping hole in this story. There's something missing in this story. Does anybody know what that might be? Yeah, Daniel's missing. What the heck, Daniel? Where are you? Daniel wrote the book. He's like, and that one time I wasn't there. (laughs) My friends got thrown into the fire, and thank God, they're all right. We don't know why Daniel was not there, but here's, here's the likely reason Daniel was not there. Nebuchadnezzar had already elevated him to second in command. It is almost certain that Nebuchadnezzar sent him somewhere within the empire to go about the king's business. Now, why would Nebuchadnezzar do this on this day in particular? Because he needed Daniel. He relied on Daniel. Daniel was the ultimate living and exiled person. Daniel was the ultimate living for God in an ungodly world. And to have Daniel around was to have blessings around And Nebuchadnezzar likely did not want to put Daniel in this situation because he didn't want to have to throw Daniel into the fire. And so let's get rid of Daniel. And it's also pretty clear that the only time that Nebuchadnezzar was to expect people to worship his image was when it was dedicated. And so Daniel is gone during the dedication day. And I can just imagine Daniel coming back. He's coming back from like, Judah, let's say, (laughs) where he was taken from. He comes back like 40 days later that it took him to ride there on a camel, and he's like, what's up with the statue? And Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, it's just a gold thing I put up, no worries. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego run over like, no, 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 no. You missed out, Daniel. Where were you when we chose to stand instead of bow? So here's the applications. I've got them up on the screen as well if you want to read along. The level these young men lived for God in an ungodly world is legendary. The story preaches itself. Let's sum it up with just four real easy takeaways. Number one, stand up when everyone else bows down. Stand up when everyone else bows down. And I I want to be very clear, like, in our culture and and in our culture wars, we're not talking about standing for the American flag. We're talking about standing for God. Stand up when everyone else bows down. You see, the world has all sorts of agendas. The world has all sorts of political fads. The world has all sorts of standards that it has set, and it wants so badly for everyone to bow down to the standards that they set before us when God has actually called us, no, 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 you don't have to bow to the latest political flag. You don't have to bow to the latest hashtag. You don't have to bow to the latest this or this or this or this or this or this. You just stand. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Keep standing. Number two, yield your bodies to God, even if that means lying your body down. And you might say, well, pastor, we live in 2023 in the United States of America, and we do not see a day where our lives would be threatened and put asunder for our belief in Jesus Christ. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ride that train too long. But applicable right now, We do need to yield our bodies to God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you were bought with a price and that you are to Honor the Lord, bring glory to God, glorify God with your body. You see, how we use our bodies sexually, how we use our bodies to advance God's kingdom, how we use our bodies to serve others, those are ways that we daily yield our bodies before the Lord and say, God, your ways for our body are better than our ways for our body. So number three, choose to obey God's commands over the commands of the king. If a law goes against God, who will you obey? And you might say, again, I don't know of any laws that would prohibit me from doing what God's called me to do. I think we'll see some in our lifetime. Yeah. I also believe that there are certain things that maybe your conscience would not allow you to do. There are certain things that maybe the Holy Spirit would not prompt you to do that, that I might have freedom to do. And I might say, yeah, you, you can go ahead and choose not to obey the the laws or the commands of the nation because it goes against your conscience, but I'm free to do this. And so it's actually dependent on what your conscience allows. Your conscience might force you to say, no, I won't do this or this or this because I believe that God's convicted me to stay in accordance to this way. And then number four, it sounds like the easiest, but it's the most difficult. Just trust in God, guys. Just have faith. Don't be dumb. Have faith. You see, trusting in God is a radical way to stand up. Will you trust God in the fire? Do you trust God can deliver you from the fire? Will you trust that he's there in the fire? Will you trust that he's there with you, whether he snatches you out or whether you burn? Some of us get chronic illnesses that the Lord heals us and delivers us from. Some of us get chronic illnesses that we are allowed to die of. But either way, will you trust in God? Because either way, He's there. Will you trust Him? He wants you to know He is there with Him. So if you could put away your phones to limit any distraction, if you could sit still for a minute, we'll um, tone our lights down. If you could just Go back into this attitude of prayer and worship. I gave you some practical things, but last Tuesday I was on a walk, just like the Tuesday before, and the Lord told me something he wanted me to address today that doesn't seem like it's applicable to what we just talked about, but it very much is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sometimes we tell a story and we say, these were three Hebrew children that survived in the fire. They weren't children. These were likely guys in their young 20s. At the very most, they're pushing 30. God is doing something in the world right now that can't be denied. God is moving in our culture. I don't want to say it's in a new way, but it's different than the way we've been doing things. And I believe that right now, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were three young men who stood when everybody else bowed, what I believe is happening right now, in fact, I know it's happening right now, is that the young people of our generation are the ones who are standing when others are bowing. I believe God is going to spare and have a remnant in this generation that we have not seen in previous generations. I believe that older generations, myself included, have failed our young people in so many ways. And young people need to rise because young people have always been the ones that God has used to start movements and revolution and change for his kingdom. You think of baby Moses in the Nile changed the world. Joseph, centuries before as a teenage boy, changed a nation, a kingdom, and the trajectory of history. Here, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four young men completely altered human history. Josiah, the king who who repents of previous generations' ways and is used to do great things. God always uses young people, always. Even even in this whole statue scenario, gold, silver, bronze. The bronze was actually uh, a very young man by the name of Alexander the Great who by 30 years old had conquered most of the known world. He was not doing it for God, but God was using it for his own purposes. And it, it's time to raise up young people. And I'm, I said that deliberately how I did. It's time for, to raise up young people, old people. Raise them up. And then young people, it's time to raise up. And I know it's cliche to talk about it, but we, we can't just go on and act like it's not happening. Um, right at, um about a, a month ago now, uh, like eight or nine college students stayed after just a completely normal mundane chapel service. I watched the chapel service. It was in Kentucky at Asbury University. Just the most normal chapel service. Nothing, nothing extravagant happened. The most, the most normal sermon was preached. But a couple of college students stayed and did not leave. Well, what were they doing? They were confessing their sins. And word got out that these like nine, I'll say kids, they were young adults, were were confessing their sins. And more came and thousands came and tens of thousands came and hundreds of thousands came to confess sin. Some people are like, we're not sure that's a move of God. To confess sin? To bring praise to Jesus and have no hype, no lights, no fog, no nothing. Like yeah. they, they even like, hey, we, we want this to be somber. Leave your flags and your shofars outside of the building. We just want Jesus. Yeah. Well, we're not. Yeah, it's of God. Yeah. Yeah. In the exact same time that this movement was happening, um, I don't like Christian movies. Let me go on record. Okay, I didn't like Facing the Giants or. Um, to, I don't like those movies. They're usually pretty cheesy. I stay away from Hallmark and the Christian movies like them. I don't really like Christian music with the exception of worship songs. But there was this you know, Christian movie that came out um, about the same time that this Asbury revival started breaking out. And it was called The Jesus Revolution, and our interns wanted to see it. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll go. It's, I'm sure it's going to be cheesy, but we'll give it a shot. A couple of these young people cried at the movie. And there was something stirring up within them, like, want something like that for their generation. The movie was actually produced well, by the way. It was good acting. I don't understand why Kelsey Grammer, who's 70, played a 40-year-old Chuck Smith, but I digress. The guy, the Jesus guy from The Chosen, in real life, he's like 40, and the character he's playing is supposed to be 17. I don't understand that either. Nonetheless, the movie was about young people in the late 60s and early 70s who had been disenfranchised by an older generation, who who had been forgotten about, who were tired of war, who were disgusted with the ways of the world, and, and were looking for God in all sorts of places, in places that he could not be found. And while they were looking for him in places he could not be found, he met them right where they were. And people were radically changed and saved and worshipped and preached the gospel. And and we today have um, entire movements and denominations of churches that exist because of it. In fact, uh, the mentor that came to this last service um, was one of the founding vineyard pastors and came in and prayed over me on this day that we're talking about all this stuff. God's doing something. And he's wanting to remind us it takes young people to do something and it takes old people to stand behind them. What will you do to support young people reaching their peers for Christ? We've got a bunch of young people here that like, didn't have to stay for this service that were at the last service and they're here again because they know they're going to get prayed for and they want more, I think. So what I'd like you to do as we close out this service is um, if you are here and if you are a young person, you say, Pastor, what is a young person? It's anything my age and younger (laughs) is a young person. No, No, not really. So a young person is 20s or younger. So if you're 30, you don't count. Sorry, Tim. You passed that bridge a couple years ago. (laughs) But if you are here, and and if you're like, um, there's no pressure to come up, by the way, but I I think every single one of you will come up. If you are here in your 20s or younger, so 29 and 364 days and younger, would you just come up, fill, fill the altar, would you stand up here? Twenty nine or younger. There should be some kids, some teens, some young adults. Don't don't check anybody's ID. <laughs> okay. All right. Come spread right over here, guys. Spread right over here too. Anybody else, twenty nine or younger? Here's what I'd like to have happen now. I would like everybody 65 and older to make your way behind these guys. 65 and older. You say, Pastor, does that mean people 65 and older are old? Yeah, it does. (laughs) It does. But we desperately, 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 desperately need old people if young people are going to accomplish anything in their lives. So if you're 65 and older, come up to the front, please. And again, you don't have to, um, but if you feel prompted to pray over these young adults. Would you just come up, stand behind them? 65 or older. Ed, are you on the cusp there? Come on up here and pray over these people. Like, we're going to claim you. Just, We're going to go by your beard, okay? And then, church, would you stand? We're going to sing here in a second. But I'm just going to pray over each of these people, and um, if you are here 65 and older, Brian, you're really close to the crowd here. Scoot back a little bit. <laughs> Scoot back. <laughs> would you lay hands on these young people and, and and walk walk down and pray for each of them? Because there's a lot more young people than old people. That that needs to change. We need it. We need equal representation of old and young, old and young. So would you come up and begin to pray? And church, would you just join me in prayer and? Um, Stay up here and pray. And if you'd like prayer for anything else today, if you want to come up and uh, just receive prayer as we sing, that's what we're going to do. And we're going to keep worshiping tonight at 630. Today's a day of worship. Today's a day of prayer. So um, begin to pray. Pray out loud for these young people in front of you guys. God, we we thank you for all of these young people here uh, standing in front of us, God. 29 and younger, God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make uh, a change, make an impact, make a difference in this world and use these young people to do it. God, I thank you for the faithfulness of these young generations. I thank you, God, that they have been willing to stand and to not bow. I thank you, Lord, that they have been kept unsinged and unhinged from the enemy, God, and that you are doing a new thing. You are doing a different thing. You're moving. You're acting. You're making a difference in this world. God, I pray that you would bless. I pray that you would um, begin to expand their vision, begin to expand their desires of what they can do and how they can be used. God, I ask in Jesus' name that they would be able to be, have all their needs provided for God. Um, I'm gonna begin to pray out over some certain young people. So just uh, let's let's let the Lord speak. Uh, Patience, I want to pray for you. Um, i lay my hands on you as I pray. God, I thank you for this young lady. I thank you for the example that she has set for her peers and for those younger than her. God, thank you for allowing her to step out of her generation and to serve you, God, without knowing who will provide. God, provide for all of her needs. Expand her vision. Expand her strength. Expand her faith, God. Bless her. Bless her. Bless her. May you be all that she needs and all that she receives from you God may you surprise her with even more we ask in the name of Jesus uh, God I pray for Sam we pray for our friend Sam God he is a he is a son of this church God we love him he's cared for God, you desire to do great things in his life, God. Ignite his heart, give him vision and passion to do abundantly far more than he could ever think or he could ever imagine. Lord Jesus, I pray for Emily, God. I pray you would continue to allow her to worship more expressively, to speak more boldly, God, to have more faith, to impact more people. God, use all of her wonderful abilities. Use all of her wonderful skills. God, use the passions and the desires of her heart, God, to make an impact in this world around her. We ask in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for uh, your Bentley. Come here. We pray for uh, Bentley, God. Touch him, change him, God. I pray that you would mold him. I ask, God, in Jesus' name, that he would not be satisfied with that which his generation is satisfied by, but he would hunger and thirst for more, and that you would raise him up, God, for a time like this. I pray you would keep him from the evil one. I pray that you would keep him unsinged from the fire, that he wouldn't even smell like smoke. God, I pray that you would continually humble him, and as he humbles himself, that you would exalt him to where you have him to be. God, call him bentley you're called follow obey trust serve the lord he knows what he has for you god we pray for maggie we ask in the name of jesus that you would restore anything the enemy has taken restore it tenfold in jesus name i pray god you would open up her lungs and her voice to be able to declare your glory your word not not through singing she already does that but through speech Through through encouragement, through teaching, God, let her lead other people who've been where she's been, God. Thank you for her coming out victorious. Maggie, you've been through the fire. You're coming out unsinged in Jesus' name. You're coming out not smelling like smoke. God has better, bigger, brighter things in store for you. So, so be it, God, in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for each of these people, God. So be all of these things. Yes and amen. Would you guys stand and sing? And if you want to pray, continue to do so.